Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord here, in this house of the Lord with you folks today. I've been meaning to come for some time just to come in the back door and surprise Brian <clears throat> while he was preaching, and but it just didn't quite work out. Oh, that song, His Robes for Mine, <clears throat> I've never heard that before. Uh, it reminded me of a quote that my brother sent me yesterday by A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said, Christ had no sin but ours, and we had no righteousness but his. Amen. But it's good to be here. Beautiful country. Uh, I ride my motorcycle around this area a lot, and this is the first time I've been able to have my wife with me and show her some of the rides that uh, we go on. Of course, her question was, where's the Walmart? <laughs> and uh, I think I found out it's like 30 miles away. Uh, but you've got a local convenience store. But, folks, it is, it is good to be here. I love Melissa and Brian and the girls. Those nine years were sweet years, and they went by so quickly. Uh, my loss on that end is your gain on this end. <clears throat> a lot of times after school, I'd go into Brian's classroom, and uh, we'd just talk the word together. He would encourage me. Hopefully I could encourage him. We'd pray together. We had prayer requests together. As a principal, it was just a blessing to have somebody on staff uh, like Brian and Melissa taught at the school. Uh, Melissa, you had my twins too, didn't you? Yeah. In, in, in Jordan's classroom, in Jordan's bedroom, he's got a, a thing that you made up for him framed, uh, how you felt about him that year that he was in your class. So thank you. So uh, it's, just, it's just good to be here with you with you folks. Now, I'm not a preacher. <clears throat> I'm a teacher. And I know when to stop when I hear a bell ring. So if you don't have a bell, you might want to whistle. But I always taught the teachers, say, when the bell starts, you, you start teaching and don't stop until it rings. So, but there is a clock back up here. So I'll try to, uh, I'll try to remember to look up every once in a while. But, uh, <clears throat> Good to, so good to be here. I understand y'all been going through the book of John, I think maybe some Psalms. And you know, John, <clears throat> the apostle, wrote four other books, three epistles, and he wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to look at the book of 1 John this morning. If you could turn there in your Bibles, 1 <clears throat> John, five chapters. 1 John was written... Well, probably about 50 years after the resurrection. So a lot had happened in the church. A lot of false teaching had come into the church. And Paul's writing this to instruct them. Uh, my wife and I do a lot of camping. A couple weeks ago, we were camping in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. If you've ever been there, it's a beautiful place. And we went into a little country store. <clears throat> and on the carousel there, they had a book. This was the name of the book, The Book of General Ignorance. Now, that got my attention, The Book of General Ignorance. The subtitle was, Everything You Think You Know is Wrong. I thought, okay. It was a New York Times bestseller. I thought, is this book telling me that everything I think I know is wrong? Or that am I wrong about everything that is what I think is right. The cover on the book had a picture of a boy and had a dunce hat on. 
So the name of the book again was The Book of General Ignorance. So I began to flip through it. I'd see how ignorant I was or what I didn't know or what I thought I knew. And I came across a question that says, what sound does the largest frog in the world make? I said, well, I'm going to be pretty ignorant about this. But I got a clue. I thought, well, maybe it's ribbit. Maybe I was close to the truth. So I began to read. So the book is a book on general ignorance. So it caught me. Well, <clears throat> the largest frog in the world is three feet long. It's in South Africa, and it's mute. It doesn't say anything. So that's what that book was all about. Maybe I should have got it, but the book on general ignorance. Well, we're not going to talk about ignorance today. We're going to talk about what John felt was some things that we needed to know. If you read, and let me encourage you, we're not going to look at the whole book of 1 John, there's five chapters, but I want to encourage you sometime to just take the book, open it up, and read those five chapters. Probably take you 15, 20 minutes. In those five chapters, John the Apostle uses the word know, K-N-O-W, 40 times. Folks, there's something that he wants us to know, and it's truth. John, the Lord said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. The truth of the Lord abides forever. Folks, we're living in a world that's upside down, and they don't understand what truth is. And John took it upon himself under inspiration of the Lord to write five chapters and to encourage people to know the truth and to believe the truth. Well, the key word is the word no. We're going to look at one verse in particular, and that is the verse in 1 John chapter 5. But before we get there, look with me again. We read it this morning together as a church. 1 John chapter 1, those first four verses. I want us to look at how John starts his epistle on knowledge. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we've looked upon, and we've handled. John is saying about Jesus Christ, we've looked at him, we've seen him, we've handled him. He's the word of life. His life was manifested, and John almost repeats himself again, and he says, we've seen it, and we bear witness, and we show unto you that eternal life which with the Father, that which we've seen and heard, we declare it unto you. There's a lot to unpack in these four verses, but I just want you to see that John is laying a foundation for the claims of this book. He wants us to know that we can lay hold on these truths that he's going to write about and that we can have confidence, confidence in him because he saw the Lord, he touched the Lord, he heard the Lord. He was there at the tomb, the empty tomb. He was there at the resurrection. He was there at the crucifixion. John is going to write 1 John and give us some substance that we can hold to that brings credibility to everything that he's going to say to us. Now, it's credible not just because John wrote it. It's credible because it's inspired. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Christianity is something which is based on historical events and happenings. 
John is saying, I've got some things I want to tell you. And it's got some bases. I saw him. I touched him. I heard him experience. Well, look with me. I want to just look at one verse in 1 John. And that's verse chapter 5, verse 13. This is a crucial verse for those of us that love the Lord. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may, there's our word, that ye may know, have assurance, that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Folks, this morning, do you know that you have eternal life? John said, I touched him. I heard him. I spoke to him. I was there. And I want you to know that Christianity is real. There's substance, folks, to our faith. Hebrews says faith has substance. Folks, we do walk by faith. But you know what backs up our faith? Facts. I heard him. I touched him. I handled him. I saw an empty tomb. I saw him on the cross. I saw him after his death. Folks, Christianity is real. It's based on true things that happened. If that happened, eternity is going to happen for us too. Do you know the Lord? The oldest, one of the oldest questions in the Bible is from one of the oldest books, book Job. And Job asks this question <clears throat> in Job 14, 14. He says, if a man dies, shall he live again? What's on the other side of the grave? Job asked that question. Now, he knew the answer. Because in Job 19, a few ver- chapters later, he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And though these skin worms destroy my body, I shall see him. Folks, there's life after death. I was watching an old western. I like old westerns and black and white. And there were these two young boys who were going to get ready to rob a bank. <clears throat> and that's something you shouldn't do. They were looking at each other. And one boy, one boy said to the other one, he said, uh, do you think hell is real? I mean, if I was going to rob a bank, do something wrong. He said, looked at the, he said do you think hell is real? Because if it's real, I don't want to go there. Now, it didn't stop them from robbing the bank. But perhaps maybe sometime in their life, someone had shared with them the verse, Behold, it's appointed unto man once to die, and at the, at the judgment. We do have to give an account. Folks, there is life after death. And we can be sure of it. He said, These things I write unto you, so that you can know the habit, that you have eternal life. It, it's unnerving not to be sure about some things. Very unnerving not to be sure about where you're going to spend eternity. But sometimes I'll forget and I'll think, did I, did I shut the refrigerator door? Did I? Sometimes when I'm changing the oil in my car or something and I'll pull out the dipstick and I'll read it and I'll put it back in and I'll shut the hood and I'll go on. Oh, man, did I put that dipstick all the way in? Or maybe you ladies have made a cake and you say, oh, did I put that ingredient in? Just a little bit of the, it's unnerving not to know things for sure. 
Folks, I'm here to share with you today, based on the scripture, that you can know if you have eternal life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. You don't have to cross your fingers. You don't have to hope. You don't have to wish. He gives us peace about where we are going to spend eternity. Can we have confidence? Can we really have assurance? Well, we can. Where do we get our assurance? John said it in the verse. These things are right unto you. You know where we get our assurance? From the writings. This is it. Folks, I am very careful that I don't go up to somebody and say, oh, yes, you're saved. And I'm careful I don't say, oh, no, you're lost. Because I don't know. God knows. And they could know through the word. I had a student one time that, <clears throat> after a Bible class, came up to me and said, Mr. Thompson, I'd, li- I'd like to talk to you. Something's bothering me. I'm a math teacher, so I know her math wasn't bothering her. So I thought, well, she has a Bible question. So I got my Bible, <clears throat> and we went into a separate room, and I said, hey, what's going on? She said, I think I'm backslidden. I didn't tell her she was backslidden. I said, well, let's talk about it. That's, I had my Bible there. I said, well, what makes you think you're backslidden? She said, well, I see some of these other kids. They seem, they seem to be happy. They seem to make good decisions, da-da-da-da-da. And I just started opening my Bible. I don't know if she's saved. I don't know if she's lost. God knows. And we can know because of Scripture. So I opened up the Scripture. I just started sharing some verses with her. And this is what she said. She said, Mr. Thompson, you know why I think it is? She said, I think I'm lost. I didn't tell her that. She got it from Scripture. If you know somebody or if you're struggling with whether or not you're saved or struggling with it, be careful about going to somebody else's opinion. They might say, oh, yeah, you're okay. You made a profession. You walked an aisle. You were baptized. You prayed a prayer. You're okay. Folks, we need to make sure it's the word that gives us confidence. These things have a written unto you that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Folks, do you have eternal life? You can know. The Bible says study to show thyself approved. The Bible says, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. Peter says, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Paul said in Corinthians, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be a reprobate. It is possible to be self-deceived. That's why we need the light of Scripture shining on us to show the genuineness of our salvation experience. You know the verse in Matthew, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied in thy name. And in thy name have cast out devils. I've never cast out a devil that I know of. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them I never knew you. Depart from me ye that 
ye that work in iniquity. They had nothing to back their hope up of heaven other than their works, their own righteousness. Lord, we've done this. And they had the language too, didn't they? Lord, Lord, a lot of good intentions, done a lot of many wonderful works, good things. And Jesus looked at them and said, I never knew you. It's not like he knew them, and then they lost it. He said, well, now I don't know you. I knew you at one time. He said, I never knew you. I never had an intimate relationship with you. Folks, if those folks that are in that situation could have just got the word and backed their salvation experience up with a thus saith the Lord, they would have known whether or not they were truly saved and born again. You can know, and you can be deceived. Boy, think of Judas for a million, for a minute. Judas was a chameleon, wasn't he? He could blend in. He looked the part. Matter of fact, at the Last Supper, you know the story. The Lord said, one of you are going to betray me. And they all looked at each other. Nobody said, we know who it is because he's a little different than the rest of us. It's got to be Judas because he just doesn't seem to fit in. He just, he's just not like us. They didn't do that. He looked like the church group. He just looked like everybody else that showed up. But Peter was very worried about it, concerned about it, Lord. Folks, the Bible says examine your own heart. And that's what Paul was doing, or Peter was doing. He examined his own heart. And Peter, if you notice, he kind of motioned in the scriptures over to the apostle John. He says, John, ask him who it is. Peter wanted to know. Lord, is it me? You know, Jesus showed him who it was going to be. Jesus gave him the answer. Jesus said to John, the person that I dip the bread in, the the juice, the person that I dip it to and give it to him, that's the one that's going to read. That's the one that's going to uh, betray me. Read the scripture; it's there. He told them who it was going to be. They still didn't ex- suspect Judas. Matter of fact, <clears throat> Lord looked at him and said, "Judas, what you're going to do? You go do it quickly." They still didn't get it. He blended in well. They just thought that he was going to. He was the. The, the money man for the church, and they just thought that he was going to take it and go buy some food or go give it to the poor. So he left, but they never understood that it was Judas until later. But you can know that you're saved. We can also be deceived. We can deceive others. How can I know for sure that I'll be spending eternity with the Lord. The scriptures show us. Are we really promised eternal life? You know this in John 14, the Lord said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If, I were, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come back and I'll receive you. Folks, we've got some promises, a lot of promises in the scripture that we have eternal life. 
Is there going to be any vacancies in heaven? Is there any, any place in heaven where on earth the Lord promised a home in heaven and that person didn't make it and that home's just vacant in heaven? Everybody he's promised eternity to gets it. It's a promise made and a promise kept. Can you be redeemed and unredeemed? Can you be forgiven? And the Lord said, no, I decided not to forgive you. Can you be regenerated and unregenerated? Can the Lord take back his forgiveness? No. This is Jesus in John chapter 6, and he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but I'll raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life is promised us in the scripture. In, the Bible, in John chapter 6, the Lord had some hard things to say, and some of the disciples just kind of walked away. And after they left, Jesus kind of looked up, and he looked at his disciples, and he said, Are you going to leave too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And the Father said, "All And Jesus, all that the Father gives me will come, and he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Search the scripture, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. Examine yourselves, whether you're in the faith or not. Be not deceived. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, And these shall go away unto eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. Folks, in some sense, everybody's got eternal life. It's either in the presence of the Lord or in a place the Papa calls the lake of fire. When you were born, God breathed it, God breathed, and you've become a living soul. We are all going to live somewhere. If I were to die, and death's just a separation. Death's not an end. If I were to die, my spirit would separate from my body. The Bible talks about a second death. And that's those that are separated for eternity apart from Jesus Christ. Eternal life with him. A second death. It's an eternal death. It's an eternal separation without Christ. We all know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Might perish. Never perish. Never perish. Folks, you can go to bed tonight and put your head on that pillow knowing, even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. Folks, I may have false profession of faith in Christ <clears throat> when I was at a youth camp and I was 12 years old it wasn't the speaker's fault he gave the word I, for whatever reason I went forward and he took me in a back room and he said here's what you need to do say this little prayer and I did what he said and he meant well but folks it didn't take me a week to realize I didn't get anything wasn't I got and lost it. I just didn't get anything. 
I don't even, I don't even remember even told my mother about it. But two years later, the Holy Spirit begins to convict my heart. I didn't need a preacher to prompt me to do anything. I was in my home, and uh, I was at the piano, <clears throat> and I was playing. It was a hymn. It was Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And I was lost and knew it. But the Holy Spirit just began to convict me of sin in my life. And I remember going to my mother, and she was in the kitchen. I said, Mom, I've come to realize I'm not saved. And bless her heart, she took her Bible, and we went into her bedroom. And right there, she opened up the writings, the scripture. And she showed me the situation I was in without Christ. I knew I was a sinner. But I knew more than that. If you go up to the average person on the street and say, are you a sinner? Oh, yeah. And I've stole a penny before. Our sins are small, aren't they? Are you a sinner? Oh, yes. But ask him this question. Are your sins so bad that you deserve to go to hell for them? Oh, no. I'm not that bad. Well, then why did Jesus die? He thinks they are. God the Father sent his own son because your sins are so bad that you deserve to go to hell. When I was 14 years old, I began to realize my sins are so bad that I deserve to go to hell. God would be just if he sent me to hell for my sins. That's called conviction. That's conviction. I couldn't wait to tell people what happened. My mom said, now you need to call somebody. So I, I called our pastor, and I was the quietest boy in the church. I don't know in 10 years if I'd ever said 10 words to him. I called him on the phone and said, Pastor, I, I got saved. The next day at school, I was in the eighth grade. <clears throat> I went in my homeroom, and I was just so excited because, folks, I had been delivered. I was now headed towards heaven. Eternity's my home, promised, sealed, settled. I couldn't but help tell what had happened. I remember the girl sitting in front of me. <clears throat> I pecked her on the back and still know her name. I, I said, hey, I got, I got saved. This public school. I said, I got saved last night. And she turned around. She said, you got saved? She said, no, that's good. I turned to the guy behind me and I said, Chris, I got saved last night. And he said, saved? What's that? My first opportunity to share the gospel. And I told him, and uh, I don't know if he's saved today or not, but folks, when you get saved, there's a change in your life. If any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. And old things are passed away. New direction, new journey, new father, heaven. And you... I'm sure you folks here have told, given the gospel to your kids and your grandkids. I, I spoke at my mom's funeral, and there's two things that I said. I said, my mom always brought two things to church with, and they started with a B, a Bible and a belt. And she used both of them. And, I, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for the Lord and, and my mother. How about this verse? John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28. Let me read it to you. How do you know if you're saved? 
Here's what Jesus said. Remember, we're going to examine ourselves right here. Look, look what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Do you know the voice of the Lord? Are you following the Lord? Does he speak to you through his word? Does his spirit witness with your spirit that you're one of his? If it does, you've got the confidence and the assurance that heaven is yours. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them, there it is, eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We're together on this, is what he's saying. Both Jesus and the Father have us firmly grasped in their hand. Folks, how good is the hand of the Lord? How strong is his everlasting arms that he says he's holding us with? Folks, if his arms are everlasting, I've got everlasting salvation. I'm in his arms for an eternity. But what about those hands? In Exodus chapter 33, we read it this morning, or chapter 32, talked about the Lord led them out of Egypt with mega power, great power, and mighty hands. Folks, the same hands, the same God that protected them from the Egyptians and destroyed the Egyptians but saved them, that's the same hand, that's the same person that's holding you and I today. Is it any wonder we have a peace that passes understanding? We're in his grip. You might say, but what about works? I can't just get saved and then live life like I got the I got heaven taken care of. Now I can really go do my own thing now that I got the big deal taken care of. What about works? We're saved by faith, for by grace are ye saved through faith. But James says it's a faith that works. I'll show you my faith by my works, by my life. The Bible says he that endures until the end shall be saved. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. But folks, let's stop for just a minute. <clears throat> we need to ask the question, what about those who have stopped following? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. Did they never have eternal life? Were they like I was at the age of 12 with a false profession and really never having Christ? Were they like the ones that were knocking, quote, on heaven's door, Lord, let us in. We preach, we've, we've prophesied, we've cast out devils, we've done all these things. Let us in. In the first chapter, the second chapter of John, the epistle that we're reading, the very apostle that says you can know that you have eternal life also deals with those that walk away, that don't have eternal life. And he says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. John, the apostle, said they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt have continued 
with us. That they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. That's a harsh statement. That's why, folks, I'm very careful not to say he's saved, she's saved, he's not. We don't know because the Bible says at night the enemy came in and he sowed tares among the wheat. And the disciples said, how are we going to deal with this? Saved among the lost. And Jesus said, you, you don't. I'll do it at the end because we don't know. But all we know to do is just keep preaching the gospel to folks. <clears throat> when troubles came, what about the parable of the sower? He, the sower th- throws the seed out and it falls on rocky ground. It springs up. And there's a little bit of joy. And it springs up for a season. But then it withers. What's the story behind that? 1 Peter chapter 1. Do we have that verse? 1 Peter chapter 1. This is an important verse for us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look with me at verse 6. I believe it's here with us. Look what Peter says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be. He's going to be telling us that, you know, we kind of need some trials. I don't need any, Lord, but he says, you need some trials. Again, in this you greatly rejoice. What am I going to rejoice about in trials? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why should I rejoice? What's going on? That the trying of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, that it might be found to be proven and genuine, resulting in praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. The Lord allows things to come in our lives to prove the sincerity of our faith. Folks, it proves, it shows that we're saved when we go through trials and we reach out and we're clinging to who Jesus Christ is. We don't turn and run. We stay. When the trials come, folks, it's a proof of the genuineness of our salvation. People will say, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I got hurt. We all get hurt. We all hurt each other. That's not a reason to leave church, but it is a reflection of what might not be on the inside that should be there. Because trials test us. And they prove and they show if our faith and our testimony and what we say we believe is true. You've heard it. I've visited people and they say, I'm not able to go back to church. They turn their back on and I would say that doesn't work. They did a lot of excuses. But folks, if you're really saved and you're genuine, those trials are going to show that you've really got true faith. When people come to know Christ as their Savior, they are brought into a relationship with God, with the Lord, that guarantees their eternal security. Folks, I can't keep myself saved. I have no righteousness of my own. The Bible says my righteousness is filthy rags. The song, he gave me his robe. I gave him my sins. The great exchange. How do, I, how do we stay saved? How do we keep that confidence My confidence is in the Lord, not in me. In Jude, he said, to him who is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. God's power is able to keep the believer from falling. It's up to him, not us, to present us before the Father. And you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith. We can't work it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation. Oh, work out your own salvation. But the next verse says, but it's God who's working in you and you work it out. Oh, what about this verse? This, hold, put your pillow on this verse tonight. Philippians 1.6, being confident, assured of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish what he started. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. We're safe all the way through. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace going to take me home. Here we're going down the road, and you see a building that maybe the footer's been dug, concrete poured, maybe the block is up so high, then a week or two nothing's happened, and three or four months nothing's happened, and it stopped. The building has stopped. Then you think, oh, the builder ran into something he didn't plan on. Something interrupted the builder's plan. Maybe it was money. Something interrupted the building. He who hath began a good work in you. There's nothing that's going to interrupt the work that God started in my heart. There's nothing that he foresees or sees that's going to get him to stop what he's doing. He's the builder that finishes, the author and the finisher of our faith. There's no circumstance that he hasn't known even in advance. So once a person is saved, are they always saved? Yes. When people come to know Christ as their Savior, they become a new creation. They enter into a father-son relationship with the Lord that guarantees their salvation. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's according to his mercy he saved us. God gives forgiven sinners a new heart, and he puts a new spirit within us. And the spirit causes the saved person, you and I, to walk in obedience. And then I want to close with this. Romans chapter 8. It was read by the congregation today. Notice what Paul says. And you know Paul's history. Persecuted believers, hated the church, hated Christ. Even the Lord said, Paul, you hated me. You were kicking against me. You were trying to prevent what I was trying to do. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Not was. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me? And he said, I thank God. This wretched man that God saved, notice what he says. For I am persuaded. Folks, are you persuaded? Are you convinced? Do you know for sure that heaven is your home? For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, or demons, no powers, no things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to what? Separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Our eternal security is based on God's love for those that he's redeemed. Our eternal security is purchased by Christ, promised by the Father, and sealed by the Spirit. I am sealed and I am safe. Is that my license to go sin? Folks, when you're truly saved, why would you want to sin sin against such great love? Because I don't have to have this wedding ring as a reminder of my faithfulness to my wife. I don't even know where our marriage certificate is. I don't have to go read it to remind me. I love my wife. And that love challenges me to be faithful, to be the best husband that I can be. You are loved. You are forgiven. Whatever comes your way is by the hand of a God that loves you and knows what's best. Are you at peace? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ in forgiveness of sins? Or do you know about him? Is he real? Do you hear his voice? Are you following him? Then you can enjoy the peace and the assurance that our salvation brings. I am his and he is mine forever. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the writings that tells us how we can be saved and that that salvation is eternal, not based upon our works, not based upon how fast, how good we can paddle. Lord, it's all by grace. And Father, we're just bowing in your presence, being bathed with your love and the assurance that nothing will separate us. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that is not sure, Father, they can be sure today. Father, do a work that only you can do. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.